Well, hello there, listeners. It's Susie New here, President of the Australian Society of Anaesthetists, and welcome to our podcast, Australian Anaesthesia, where we talk all things relevant to anaesthesia in Australia. I am super excited to be sharing this podcast with you. I am chatting with the wonderful Cara Allen and Jeanette Wright, who are two anaesthetists from the Royal Melbourne Hospital. We are talking about a course that they have developed. It's called CRASH, which stands for Critical Care, Resuscitation, Airway Skills, Helping You Return to Work. So that's right. It's a course that is designed to help anaesthetists and intensivists and ED physicians return to work, whether it be after a period of parental leave or sickness or coming in from another specialty. I'm also super excited because we've just announced the ASA Crash Scholarship. So if you are a member of the ASA, then you are eligible to apply for a scholarship where we will help reimburse, I think it's about half the cost of the course for you. You need to have been a member for at least a year. So if you're thinking that this is something you might like to use in the future, then I would suggest that you join. Joining the ASA is free. That's right, it's free for introductory trainees. For advanced trainees, you get about 70% off the standard membership subscription rate. So I'll put a link for Crash in the show notes as well as details for the scholarship. You can also find more details by looking at the ASA website, asa.org.au and just searching for Crash. The ASA is delighted to be providing this scholarship because we want to support you practicing at your best. All right, wishing you a happy new year and let's get into it. I do believe you just ran Crash over the weekend. Yes, yesterday. Well done. How did it go? It was good. Good. Jeanette was kind of the grand poobah of it this time, so... I got to actually do some teaching, which is great because I sort of miss that when I'm coordinating the course or doing more of the admin side of it. It's always great to connect with people and hear about their processes of going back to work and preparing for that. And I'm always really inspired by hearing people talk about what they're doing to get themselves in a place where they feel good about going back to work after a big break particularly at the moment with the impact that COVID's had on the workplace and on individuals and people have adjusted their return to work plans to compensate for going back into a workplace that looks really different to the way that it did seven or eight months ago. I'll come back to the impact of COVID because we can't not talk about COVID, but was it was it a one-day course over the weekend? Yeah, it's always been a one-day course and there's some pre-reading that gets sent out as a package and that's got some clinical information and some non-clinical information. And the difference is that in a face-to-face course, we have a lot of practical sessions within the course as well. So we have an airway session, a simulation session, and then ALS. And so obviously those bits can't really happen. So the course as a virtual course is a little bit shorter. Yesterday it ran from 10 a.m. to quarter past three, we put some of the speaking bits in a drop box as something to look at, something to listen to pre-course. And then we try and make the actual workshops on the day as interactive as possible. We can't replace some of the practical sessions, like the airway session, we get a lot of equipment in. We can't replicate everything. So it shortens the day slightly. 
In the face-to-face course, from my recollection, you also got the emergency responses for, was it difficult intubation and ALS? Yeah, so we had ALS and hemorrhage, the face-to-face version. For the virtual course, it's trickier, obviously, because there's a hands-on component. We do aim to interrogate as many of those learning objectives as possible. ANSCA recommends doing a CICO emergency response if you've had more than 12 months off and you're a fellow. So we have built a version of the course where if people have taken 12 months off and they do the CICO, the course is incredibly flexible. So we have multiple modules that we sort of string together to make it the best fit for the participants. We send out a, a pre-course survey so we can find out a little bit about who's coming along and what their, what their backgrounds are, what their areas of interest are. We also get intensivists and ED physicians come along to the course. So obviously we've got to have modules that are suitable for them as well, which we've developed with our ED and intensivist colleagues. But for the ANSCA fellows and trainees, they have very different needs depending on what stage of work they're at when they're going back and whether they're transitioning from, you know, registrar fellow or fellow to consultant. They may have different needs and different priorities for the course. So we try and find out as much about that as possible before the day. Well, wow, that's fantastic. I didn't realise it was so tailored. I assume for it to be so tailored, it's, we're only looking at a small group at a time. Yeah, the maximum participants that we've had is 20. Um, and so we divide those 20 into four groups. So we have four different workshops and the four groups sort of rotate around the workshops. The group that you start with, you stay with that group during the day. And we look at the makeup of those groups as well. So we try and have a, a mix of registrars and consultants. And if there's ED or ICU, we would try and group those together as well. One of the challenges of the virtual course is that the advantage of the face-to-face is that you get to form friendships and relationships with the people in your group and uh, spend a bit of the downtime discussing, you know, what the challenges might be. So again, it's that, it's that balance between the virtual and the face-to-face. I think ideally what, we, what we'd want to do is have some component face-to-face for everyone so that there's the opportunity to kind of hear from people in a more relaxed setting. Oh, definitely. Can I just get this right? Just say I've had 12 months off and I need to do everything. Could I potentially come back and do a crash course and then do my emergency response for ALS for the scenario which we've given away as major hemorrhage and say for CICO as well? Yeah, so what we usually do for that is we try and tailor it to the participants getting their two emergency responses that they need to do. So for participants that haven't had more than 12 months off, they don't need the CICO uh, necessarily. But again, if that's the area of anxiety, then we might choose to kind of direct the course a little bit more in that direction. The participants that have had more than 12 months off, they'll get an ALS and a CICO. So they'll knock over their two emergency response activities plus, you know, some extra CPD for knowledge and skills. And, and everyone does get a CICO component within airway. So there's a little bit of a sort of chat at the start. And then there's about an hour where all the participants rotate between some airway workshops so one of them is CICO and the other one is a sort of mix of video laryngoscopy and fiber optic skills and then the people that need the CICO we run an extra session for them over I think it's lunchtime. And and so how many online courses have you run now? Two. Two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How's the transition been? Uh, Well, the first one, that was back in July, and my main worry was that we were still all on a learning curve with Zoom. So my main worry was that the whole thing was going to shut down. So, yeah, I just 
didn't sleep the night before worrying about it, but actually went really well. We had breakout rooms. They, they all worked. Can I just say, most of us in July were freaking out about what PPE to wear, and I still can't believe that you pulled together your first online course about the peak of the second wave here in Melbourne. So kudos yeah. to you guys for pulling that so off. In, in all seriousness, Susie, like I, I, I feel like a broken record saying this, but it's I mean, Jeanette and I are obviously passionate about this, but we're so fortunate that we've got this massive faculty of people all over Australia and New Zealand who are just as passionate, who give up their time to work on this. We're not responsible for every aspect of the curriculum. Heaps of people put in for it and come out to teach on it. For example, on the weekend, we had facilitators from New Zealand and from Perth on the course. And, you know, we've got a whole faculty in Brisbane as well. Wow, well done to you guys. How how many faculty have you got? I want to say 50 across Brisbane, Perth, New Zealand, Melbourne, and I think in Melbourne, we represent almost every hospital network in Melbourne wow. and same in Brisbane and Perth. New Zealand's obviously a little bit different in the sense that we've been based in, in Auckland, but we've got a fair bit of coverage of that part of New Zealand. And I'm, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to, to recruit more faculty. <laughs> hint, hint out there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. If you're interested, drop us a line. And actually, it's just been such a fantastic learning curve for me as well. I won't speak for Jeanette in this, but it's been so great because you go along and you're like, okay, so how do you do it at your place? How do you guys run this scenario? And what would you guys do in this situation? And you've got a protocol for this. Fantastic. We're going to take that back and adapt it for our place. So all of that sort of thing has been, has been really good. Wow. Amazing. And how, how many people do you think you put through the course now? Uh, over 130 return to work people. We've had a few people do the course twice or even three times, but 130 individual attendees who, who are returning to work in, in sort of some capacity. That's great as well for, for us when we go along to, to places and see people who've come through the course and they come up and say, hi, I just, I love that. And hearing about how they've gone with their return to work, that's been really rewarding, really great. I think the thing for the participants as well is that the aim of the course is to reduce their anxiety as they're going back to work. That's the stated aim of the course. But at the end of the day, what they take back with them when they go back to work is that they then become advocates for improving you know, other people's return to work back in their own departments. And I think that's the, the sort of longevity of the course is that we've sort of inspired lots of people to improve that, you know, improve that for everyone. Because you often hear that one of the biggest drivers for women's equity in the workplace is men taking time off work. So have you had any men or many men come through the course? What are the numbers like there? Yeah, we have had a few. Um, So there's a mix of reasons, like a lot of it's parental leave, probably 70% of attendees plus are parental leave. And that's mostly women. But we also have people returning to work after sabbaticals or long service leave or sick leave or going and doing something else, whether it's retrieval or pain medicine or a variety of things. And that's more gender balanced. It's actually been really great having men along to the course because I think, as you've said, Susie, that's a really important part of why we do it is that we think having support to return to work benefits everyone. If we look at leave patterns, women tend to take leave earlier in their careers, you know, when they're having babies and taking maternity leave. And some men take decent sense of parental leave at that time as well. But men often take leave later in their careers for reasons such as illness, that can be a really challenging thing to go back to work from. And in fact, you know, if you look at the data about 
who has the most successful returns to work, and this is overseas data, but I've got no reason to think that it's different in Australia, that actually people who are taking time off work because of illness do find it harder to get back into work. And I wonder if that's because there's this expectation that when you go back to work, you'll hit the ground running, you'll be 100% immediately. And that may not be how everybody experiences it, but because of any stigma surrounding the return to work process, they don't feel comfortable speaking up and saying, actually, I'd like a little bit more support. And so part of what we hope we can do through the course and through educating people and through people having a successful return to work, we can demonstrate that, A, there's no stigma about taking time off. Your your skills are retained, you're competent, you just need your confidence restored and we can help you do that in a supportive environment and run you through the things that are causing you the most anxiety. And secondly, you know you can do it so you can support other people in doing the same process and you know what's required. You know that the support's only required for a short period. It's not that onerous. Let's just get on and do it because it's good for the whole profession. Absolutely. Anything that breaks down stigma as well is great. And that's what we want. We want safe, confident anaesthetists because we deliver the best care when we're like that. Totally agree. I wanted to ask about the professional mix of your participants as well as your faculty because you mentioned before that you're also teaching people from ICU and ED. Mm. Have you had many people from those specialties come through? Yeah, initially we had mostly anaesthetist intensivists. So they were sort of coming partly because they'd done intensive care and they were wanting to get back into anaesthesia. And then CICM actually recommended our course as a return-to-work course for anaesthetists, uh, for intensivists. Uh, that, so that significantly increased the number of intensivists who came along. In terms of rough percentages, we've had a, somewhere between 10 and 15% of our participants have, have had a background in ICU and a much smaller percentage from ED, so uh, around about 5% of participants from ED. And are they also making it onto faculty as well? Yes. So we've got ED physicians on our faculty um, and we tap them on the shoulder when we've had ED participants and then they've come along and kindly helped out as well, even when we don't, uh, which is great. And uh, we've got quite a few intensivists on our faculty now, which is absolutely terrific. And again, it's just been fascinating working with them because even though a lot of the procedural stuff that we do might be similar, there are obviously some important differences. But just the way that they think about their work is really different to me as an anaesthetist. So I think that's absolutely critical to have people from those craft groups involved. And I think that's been something that's been really useful, not just with courses like this, but also during the pandemic, having those relationships and being able to make them and having that shared perspective has just helped. That's definitely been a positive uh, that's come out of the pandemic is the sort of collaboration between departments. And I, I think across all those critical specialties, people that really listened well and collaborated well, just saved lives like it would have saved healthcare workers from being infected just for the fact that people collaborated so well. I should backtrack a little bit here because obviously we know what CRASH is but what does CRASH stand for? CRASH is an acronym for critical care resuscitation airway skills to help you return to work. Great acronym. So it's all of those resus, crit care, airway, and you're getting back to work. Fantastic. I'm glad that you make that point about people returning to work after illness because that's a group that I think we could do more to support. And now tell me, how long have you been running Crash for? The first course was January 2014. I feel like I only just heard about it not that long ago. We try and keep the cost low for it because we're, we're aware that when people are coming back to work, sometimes they've had a period of unpaid leave. So we're, you know, we're trying to keep costs 
relatively low. So we don't do much in the way of advertising. It's pretty much just all word of mouth. And speaking of keeping costs low, we've also been working with the ASA to try and work on that. So yourself and and Mark Kymuckle have been absolutely fantastic in terms of support for for Crash. And uh, so we've been talking about supporting ASA members doing crash workshops, whether it's the virtual or the in-person workshop. And obviously there's going to have to be some flexibility moving forward because who knows what 2021 holds. Um, but I, as I've said, I'm very hopeful that we can get back to doing some in-person workshops. And the ASA is looking at scholarships for ASA members who undertake crash. So very exciting to be working with the ASA on this. <laughs> Thanks, Cara. Thanks for inviting us to participate on this because this is how we like to support our members. So this is right up our alley. So back in, it was 2014, wasn't it? How did you come up with this idea? What inspired you? So we were at the ASM in Perth and my memory is that I think it was Irene was going to be the Melbourne organiser and we were walking along and she wanted to know if Cara first, but I think I jumped on board, wanted to run a workshop for people returning to work. And so we did run that workshop and that was in 2013 and we got a lot of interest. We had a roundtable conversation as part of the workshop about how people had found their return to work and what people thought. And we'd heard about a course in the UK called Gas Again and that had been running for a couple of years and it was a simulation-based course, a one-day course for anyone returning to work who who was an anaesthetist in the UK. So while we were thinking about this workshop, we'd heard about this course and Cara already had quite a lot of simulation and education background. And so that really appealed to us that there was no course like that in Australia or New Zealand. And that, you know, especially Cara had these skills that we could actually build a course similar to Gas Again in Australia. And so we actually got in contact with the Gas Again course organisers and I think you were pregnant, weren't you, Cara? I, I ended up going over and sat in on the course and they were very generous with their time and telling us how they'd put it all together. And and so then we came back and came up with Crash. It's a different course. That the aims are the same for the day and the aims are to reduce anxiety and increase confidence and they've got the same aim as us but their course runs slightly differently than our course. Different learning objectives for a different work group. You know, there's a lot a lot more crossover of anaesthesia and intensive care in the UK than there is here, for example. Mm. And ANSCA and RCOA have different sort of priorities for people who are going back, particularly for less than full-time training, which is what they call it over there in the UK. There's a, there's a different group of requirements. So we knew we needed to have something totally different that was fit for purpose over here, but it was really helpful to see how they'd set their process up and how they were evaluating. And so we adopted, you know, similar sort of processes in terms of evaluation with slightly different endpoints, but obviously there's going to be some overlap. And we would give Gas Again a lot of credit for their generosity and their willingness to engage with us and work collaboratively with us. There's a lot of return to work programs around the world. There's a a number in the US which are often very expensive. So they might be tens of thousands of dollars to get practitioners back to work, but still cheaper than training a new doctor. So it's really interesting having a look at the different ways that people have gone about the process. And so we wanted to do something that was really sustainable, you know, really fit for purpose, 
that we could use, as I mentioned, the modules to connect together to make a course that was tailored to an individual's return to work as much as possible. And that, you know, is now geographically much more accessible because it's available on the East Coast, West Coast and in New Zealand. So, you know, hopefully, again, that makes it easier for people to in, to engage with it in person when we can go back to doing that. Obviously pre-COVID, but how many courses are you running a year? Normally we would run Melbourne beginning of the year, Brisbane mid-year. Perth is flexible depending on when their group requires it and when it suits the faculty out there. And Auckland, usually in November, to coincide with the start of the New Zealand academic year. And would you be going to each of those to either coordinate or direct the course? One or both of us have been doing that. I guess the sort of long-term plan would be that faculty within, for instance, Perth or Brisbane or Auckland, there would be enough faculty so that we wouldn't necessarily personally have to be flying there. But we've sort of been using a model of we would continue to be involved for as long as that the particular faculty felt that, you know, they needed us. And and actually it sounds like that we're sort of flying all over the place and it's like a lot of work and it is a lot of work, but I actually just really enjoy it because we love being with all the faculty. We try and have like a dinner all together. I love meeting all the participants and just seeing, you know, how much they appreciate just actually feeling more confident during the day. Like it's just amazing to see that. And then we follow up with all the participants. We get a lot back from it as well, just being involved in it. It's so passionate and committed. It's great. Now you mentioned evaluation. So what are you getting feedback on? How, how are people finding the course? Yeah, so that's been really interesting because we knew when we started, thanks again to the Gas Again crew, that there were going to be some people who were actually feeling more anxious about returning to work after the course. Um, so the, the vast majority of people say that, you know, the course represents in many ways a day at work. So, you know, it's often the first time that they've arranged care for a child, for example, if they're returning back from parental leave and they've been the primary carer of their child and the first time that they've been away from a baby for an entire day. And so in that way, it does kind of feel like the first day back at work. The number of crises we have on the course in a whole day is hopefully more than you have on your average day at work. But certainly, you know, it, it's got that same kind of energy level as a, as a day back at work. And so people have said that even just, you know, coming and doing a full day of, of education has been really sort of helpful in terms of getting back on the, in that position. Because each return is individual, some people will find various aspects of the course more helpful. So for some people, it's about having those discussions around, you know, all of the non-clinical aspect of things, you know, what, how to manage your time, manage your life around returning to work and the different phases of the return to work process. For other people, it's about, you know, refreshing uh, skills and managing advanced life support situations or managing anaesthetic emergencies or, you know, looking at subspecialty anaesthesia that they may not have done for a while. So it really varies. So some of the sort of individual feedback we've had, which I'll speak about broadly so that it's anonymised, but, you know, we've had people say, look, I was planning to go back to X complex list where I'm poorly supported and so I'm choosing instead to do some of the keep in touch days, which, you know, are a federally mandated requirement for workplaces to provide a paid day during your parental leave. I think it's actually only maternity leave, unfortunately, but a paid day to come in and be supernumerary and, you know, find your feet again, essentially. So, you know, people have taken advantage of that after the course. And interestingly, a number of 
people feel that they would appreciate more support on returning to work than they actually received. So that's another aspect of things that I'd like to sort of change from a culture perspective of a short period of support that most people want, even that doesn't happen. I think that's really unfortunate and that's something that I'd like to change about our workplaces. Obviously, in the ASA seat, we do a lot of work with advocacy, but I think one of the benefits there that you mentioned is that you're talking to people and educating them about their rights. A lot of people who will go into their parental leave may not know that they're keeping touch day. That is something that they have access to. So that's, I think, something really important that you sounds like you're telling people. And now hopefully we're spreading that message a little bit wider too. I just wanted to go back and clarify with the online course, are you still able to get the emergency responses ticked off? So we've, so you can get one emergency response ticked off. um, Anaphylaxis and hemorrhage are both now available as online modules. We've done a a structure with our ALS component where we run scenarios with a team leader, essentially. So we've created an enduring resource as well, a um, step-by-step, more didactic kind of guidance through the ALS algorithm. And then the expectation is that you'll individually get to practice it. Um, And the data suggests that actually our skills in ALS are not particularly durable. So we felt that creating some sort of enduring resource that allows people to go back and review that and refresh that fairly regularly and everybody getting an opportunity to practice it was probably more valuable than, you know, spending lots and lots of time on didactics in person. That sounds like something that could be useful for anybody, not just those doing crash. That was one of the things that we developed back in July because we weren't sure how long we were going to need to be running the virtual courses. And I think, you know, realistically, we're probably going to have to do some kind of hybrid arrangement. And, you know, thankfully having faculty available around Australia means that we probably can offer things like that. You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be people returning to work. I think, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who feel after this year that, that they'd like a refresher in some of these things. So that might be a change to our participants. We'll just, we'll just see. We've just got to be flexible. That's a great door opening there, isn't it? I think everyone feels like their own volume of practice is, is being different this year. We have run Crash as a refresher type course. I'm thinking back in Perth, that was in association with the NSC, yeah. And we had people that weren't returning to work but just wanted to refresh their skills. So we basically just ran Crash. I had a lot of GP and ethicists from around Western Australia. And so definitely there's the avenue there. That it, that it could be more than just a return to work course, that it can be adapted for, you know, a, a refreshment. And I think you're right, Judd, this, this year there's been a lot of people that have had limited work, especially in Victoria. And I just want to give a shout out actually to some of the um, senior members of various departments who are in, you know, leadership roles in their various departments who've come along because they've said, well, actually, I don't do as much as much clinical work as I used to because I'm doing a much greater administrative burden. And then they've gone back, raved about the course to people, sent people along because, as I mentioned, that's our primary sort of method of people finding out about the course. That's been fantastic. I think it just demonstrates that there's an opportunity for everyone in the course, whether you're, you know, a fansco of, of many years' experience who's, you know, feeling a bit rusty about certain aspects of your practice and you just want to come along and have a refresher. We've had people who've had many years of mat leave who've come along to the course to before they've gone back to work as, a, as an opportunity to reconnect with the clinical work, knowing that they're going to have to have a period of supervision, but just to really kind of feel like they've got their feet under them because we're 
we've got a high faculty participant ratio and because we're doing those small groups we can really kind of tailor the course to to all comers I think you said something there that I find really powerful and that is often when you're in a leadership role you realise that you're not doing as much clinical work. And people have said to me, oh, that when you say that, when you say it impacts you as well, that's really powerful. So when they see leaders say, actually, I do feel like I need a refresher. I do recognise this and I do really think that this is something I need as my own development as a clinician or maintenance of my skills as a clinician and to support my patients. Um, then that also gives permission to people who have that doubt to say, okay, well, if so-and-so who I think should know it all is doing it, then, okay, that gives me a bit of permission to, to be gentle on myself and let myself do it as well. 100%. Yeah, such great leadership. Like hats off. Hats off to leaders who lead by, by showing the way. At least admitting your vulnerabilities. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I need to refresh this. I need to, you know, keep my skills up to date and I'm choosing to do that. Like any course where you're there with other participants, you know, there's a degree of vulnerability in that. And I think that's something that I try and say to every group of participants that I'm just so impressed with you guys for coming along today and being willing to, you know, step up to the plate and have a go at this because it does feel vulnerable when you've had time off and people often do feel quite anxious coming to the course. But hopefully by the end of it, you know, it's been valuable and you've had an opportunity to think about your practice and think about what you're going to do and we've given you some tips and tricks that you can take back into the workplace and we've given you the inspiration to go and be an example of of how to how to do return to work and maybe we all have a degree of imposter syndrome because i can imagine the the department director who's been at work who hasn't been on leave and goes oh you're gonna think that i should know this because i was just in theater yesterday and i'm feeling a little bit nervous that I'm going to show myself up in front of all these people who have been away from the workplace. They've got a great excuse for not nailing a scenario or whatever. So a bit of shared vulnerability I think is very powerful actually. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well said. Uh, what, is there anything else that you wanted to mention about the course? I'm just going to keep saying it's fantastic and I think everyone should do it. <laughs> Thanks. We've looked at examples from overseas and, you know, there's no sort of randomised control trial of people having support to return to work and not having support to return to work. But certainly there's a lot of information out there about what people are doing and there are some expert um, guidance on how to create a return to work program per se. And so for us, we wanted to create something that fit into that, that met as many of those criteria as possible because often people are quite time poor in this phase of their lives. Uh, so we've got a, a course that's directed towards fitting into a return to work program. And the idea being that we provide resources for people to go back to take to their departments to say, here's my return to work plan. You know, here's where I think I need to work on CPD beyond you know, what the course has been able to provide for me, you know, and use that in the future, hopefully to support others returning to work as well. Wow. So I see this is not just about providing a course. We're really just providing that whole suite of things to help people return to work. And the course is one, I was going to say it's not a very small, it's a major part of it, but there's a whole lot of other things that are, are going to be built around it by the sounds of it. Is that right? That's the aim. Some of the things that we have in the pre-reading are a questionnaire. So if you knew you were going to have time off, there's a pre-absence questionnaire. And then there's a, another questionnaire that is post-absence, so just sort of four to six weeks before you're going to return to work. That was sort of put together 
looking at lots of things that people are doing in the UK and gives people a little bit of a framework to have a discussion with their department about what their aims are coming back, like what circumstances are they coming back to, what they would like their return to work to look like. And we encourage all the participants to use that framework, but also to keep it as part of how their department manages other people's return to work. So it's part of their pre-reading, but what we want them to do is to make it part of their own department's return to work and for them to become their own department's advocate for other people's return to work. And I think for me, that's the best way to have a cultural shift. We've done 130 participants through CRASH. They've all gone back to lots of different departments around Australia and that over time that will spread out across Australia and New Zealand and that it will just be normal that actually everyone's going to come back to work in a different way and departments are flexible enough to allow that to happen. I can really see that's a huge vision, isn't it? I can just see this future where people can take time off for whatever reason, children, sickness, supporting family members, and it's supported from start, during and coming back. Amazing. Great vision. Yeah, and I think it's achievable. I I think the more people that you have that have drunk the cool juice of, you know, returning to work in an individualised way, the more likely it is that it just becomes normalised. Every department will have people that have returned to work. The people that come before you will make it easier for the next person along to actually ask for things and have a good return to work. That's what we want. Hopefully not even have to ask for it. Hopefully it's just offered. Yeah, just exactly. Mm. What a great future. Thanks, Susie. I like that vision. I like it. Because that was one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, where do you see this going in the future? And I don't need to ask it because I can just see it so clearly. It's it's a beautiful vision. Thanks, Susie. You mentioned sustainability. Mm. How do you think that's going to look in the future? As Jeanette mentioned, uh, while we love going around and seeing everyone in Perth and Brisbane and Auckland, it probably isn't sustainable. Even pre-COVID, we weren't thinking that that was going to be us doing that every, every course. And the the faculties in each of those places are, you know, reaching a point where they're, they're able to run the courses, you know, independently of us. Um, so now we're thinking about how can we sort of make sure that we're, we're delivering something similar across not exactly the same because each market's slightly different, but delivering something similar across all of those places. I do think that we are going to have to adapt in 2021. You know, it's going to look different next year than it has in previous years and then potentially look different again in 2022. I hope that we can support people in the setting of sort of the major meetings. So we're running a crash uh, for the ASM next year in May and you know, we've been in collaboration with the ASA and SC and the NZSA as well has invited us out to run crashes um, in collaboration with their meetings. So, you know, that's potentially another sort of way to make it easy for people to attend because they're already attending a meeting, but also to really, you know, sort of utilise faculty in those individual areas to make it relevant to those particular returners. There's lots of options and I've learned this year that even if I make my plans, that COVID disrupts them. So it's good to be flexible about what 2021 is going to look like for us. Definitely. And Jenna, anything else there that you wanted to add? I think the way that we started Crash was with a very structured and sound educational basis. 
So we involved Morris Hennessy from ANSCA and we sat down with the original faculty who all had teaching and educational experience in things like ALS. Cara has gone on to do a master's and, you know, we really spent a lot of time at the start making sure that we had all the learning objectives and then we built up the course based on very sound educational basis. So I think that's given me a lot of confidence that because it's got such a good base that actually all the little things that we've tweaked along the way have really just been because of feedback we've got from participants and we always have a meeting with all the faculty that are involved with a course and we talk about every single aspect of the course, what worked, what didn't, new people that teach on the course, what's your experience, what do you think. It's changed as it's gone along but because we've had such a good base, it really gives me confidence that if someone's presenting the course in Perth or Brisbane, that they're using the resources that we've put together and it's going to be delivered it to the highest level as if Cara and I were delivering it in Melbourne and we've been doing the course for six years. So I think in terms of sustainability, that to me is the best thing that we did. You can't make up for poor foundations. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you know, but I, I teach... EMST, I teach P basic overseas. A lot of those courses, you know, EMST, it's run out of the College of Surgeons. P basic, it's run out of Hong Kong University. You know, they've got massive IT support behind them. How power participants apply, how you log faculty, all that sort of stuff. Have Have you got that support? Ah, I've got a lot of spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I suspected. Yeah, keeping costs down. No, so, I mean, as I say, we're running this as a very, you know, sort of low-cost model and we are very reliant on our faculty's volunteer time, which, you know, is tens of thousands of dollars worth of time every year. Without that, it would be absolutely impossible. So I'm incredibly grateful to our faculty who are, you know, obviously passionate about this because without that, it would not be sustainable and it wouldn't be the course that it is. We do have sort of some some strategies of, of keeping track of um, faculty development and making sure that people uh, have some connection with the material that they're, they're teaching, you know, throughout the year. We've got a process of, of updating and continual development, iterative development of the material as we, as we sort of go through, you know, particularly um, sections where there might be, you know, emerging research. Uh, there's people who are responsible for oversight of that that work on that independent of Jeanette and I, so that, which is great. And then that sort of comes back and almost it's almost like a peer review process where each time the faculty for that particular course look at it and make decisions about you know, we're going to include this and we're going to teach it this way. So that's really helpful. And as I say, I've got a lot of spreadsheets. And I think you've completely downplayed the amount of administrative work that goes behind putting these courses together, making sure they stay up to date and relevant. So well done to both of you for maintaining all those spreadsheets and also the content that's delivered. That's an incredible dedication. Well, again, absolutely not just us, like Mm. lots and lots of faculty um, across Australia and New Zealand. So, yeah. Yeah, we've been absolutely blessed with our faculty. I think they've got some inspiring leaders to follow there. Thank you. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thank you. That was awesome, Susie. That was fun. Thank you. 
Well, thank you once again to Dr. Cara Allen and Dr. Jeanette Wright for having that chat with me. And aren't they just inspiring? I really liked their vision for what returning to work might look like, no matter what the reason is for going on leave. I hope you now know about CRASH and also the ASA scholarship. As I said at the start, I'll put a link in the show notes to the CRASH course. I'll also put a link to the ASA scholarship for ASA members. And for those of you who aren't ASA members and who would like to become one, I'll put a link to the membership application form. And if you have any feedback about this episode or any further queries, then do get in contact with me. The best email is asa at asa.org.au. And that's also very similar to the name of our website, asa.org.au, where you'll get access to the full versions of the podcast. Just search for podcasts or go to the ASA education page. Otherwise, you can find some of the public podcasts wherever you find your podcasts on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, etc. Okay, wishing you all a happy new year and hope you stay safe out there. This podcast was produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists. More podcasts can be found on the ASA website, asa.org.au. Music was La Toile Dance by Maidan, which can be found on the free music archive website. We hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>